0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Israeli jazz saxophonist, composer, and bandleader Eli Degibri. His latest project is the new 2022 CD Henry and Rachel, and it's his first album of original music since 2015. On his self-released ninth album, it was recorded on March 9th, 2020, days before the onset of the COVID pandemic. The album is titled for his parents as he spins an intimate and passionate love story portraying the personalities and idiosyncrasies of his tight-knit family. Over the years, he's been a huge part of the jazz scene and has played and learned from legends like Herbie Hancock and Al Foster, along with so many others. In 2016, he was invited to perform at the White House as a guest of President Barack Obama. Obama and Michelle Obama as a part of a special all-star concert celebrating International Jazz Day. He's got all kinds of great stories. Enjoy the interview. Well, hey, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. So this project is very interesting. It looks very, uh, lots of emotions probably went into this for Henry and Rachel. So talk to me a little bit about, this is your first album since 2015. Talk to me a little bit about this project.
1: I basically didn't know at the time, um, but when I started working on the project, I was going through um, some difficult um, times with my parents and their health. My father was uh, old at the time, but he was always a strong man, and I, I never even thought about him, that he can be ill. Uh, he was 90 years old and was diagnosed diagnosed with cancer. And um, just a year before, my mom was uh, diagnosed uh, with dementia and uh, Alzheimer. So everything was just, uh, and I'm an only child, and I am very connected. Uh, fond of my parents and I was just there for them and uh, we were all together trying to figure it out and, and at the same time I was also uh, uh, you know, doing music like I always do and I wrote and I composed and when I was looking back at all the compositions from that period I realized that they all have something to do with you know everything that went on with my with my parents and myself. And uh, the title track, for example, "Henry and Rachel," is um, something something that I, I didn't realize at the time. Again, I didn't have a title for it, but like I was listening to it after uh, um, I composed it, and and I realized that it was the same melody, just. Uh, in repeat, uh, in a different key. So, first melody is in the key of D, and then the second melody is in the key of E. And I was just—it was clear to me that it's a love song uh, of like two keys, and the lower key is, uh, is my dad, and the higher one is my mom. So I, you know, I—I I thought about Henry and Rachel that's their names.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the entire story of the album from start to finish. It's almost like you're weaving together a love story, kind of maybe um, just add it, what what exactly went into the entire story of this album?
1: The story is trying to tell the uh, you know, the love and affection that I have to my parents, that they have to me, and they have to each other and people i uh, you know that surround me during this difficult time for example my one of my uh, parents and especially my father most uh, you know precious or like uh, his uh, wish for for me was for example to get married and uh, i i in you know for for a long time, I I just didn't want to. I didn't get to that. And um, when he was so ill, and and I I was in a relationship with uh, my uh, who now my fiancé, I I realized that I have to you know fulfill this uh, wish for him as well. And I I even imagined that you know, the, the, the track that, that is going to be uh, played in my wedding. I called that track, uh, you, can, you can look it up in the recording, it's called The Wedding, and, and it comes right after Noah, so, uh, who is my fiancé. And when I, when I did the, the, the show, uh, even though the recording wasn't uh, out there, I I realized that I my dad doesn't have a lot of time, so I made that Henry and Rachel show especially for him, and this is where I also proposed. I, I was trying to, to do a lot of things to both you know, give back to my dad and uh, to honor his legacy and uh, and his love, and, and so you can you can see in the recording that a lot of the tracks have something to do with him for example don quixote uh, is a portrait of him gargamel which is uh, a character from uh, the smurfs uh, it's a it's an um, evil character but i always fo- found it when i was uh, when i was young like a, a, a funny character and, and i and Every time I I look at my father's silhouettes, I think of him, uh, and I see I see Gargamel. and of course Noah, who's my fiance, who we loved so much, and my best friend Ziv. Um, yeah, so everything is connected to this harsh and rough two years.
0: The interesting thing is, you recorded this on March ninth of twenty twenty, and now it's coming out. You know, around two years later. And the world is getting into a better shape with, with COVID. Does it feel relieving um, to, to have it come out now with the chance to perform live and really kind of promote it the way that it should be promoted?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that's probably one of the main reasons why I, I, you know, I took so long to, to put it out there. Because I wanted that people that, uh, you know, to, to hear it and to, to to be able to play it live for audiences. What what's interesting is that usually, uh, like you said, uh, you know, once you record it, it comes out, you perform, uh, and and it's very you know c- close to the the, the recording date. But I my process is usually uh, when I write songs, I bring them. Uh, to, to the band and we played the, the music um, even during um, a show that is connected to a different project I like to, to play the, the music before I record it uh, in front of audience a lot of times when I get to promote the, the, the project or the CD I, I kind of have had enough with the music because I already played it many many times but in this case, it's not the case. Um, I haven't played a music live and n- other than that one time uh, for my dad. So I'm really, really excited and, and happy and looking forward to play the music live.
0: So let's go back in your life here. Talk to me a little bit about how you got involved with jazz. How did this begin for you, this journey?
1: Music started very, very early in. Three, uh, my parents uh, uh, signed me in for like uh, a violin lesson and uh, there was a special Japanese uh, system uh, for uh, babies uh, for toddlers and I remember I, I don't remember a lot but I, I remember that I really really loved holding the instrument the violin uh, it had a smell that I liked. It had a grip that I enjoyed, you know, and, and so I I think my love for music in general was uh, already three years old. But uh, jazz came into my life when I was uh, 10 years old. I was playing the mandolin and there was a Dixieland band playing in one of the rehearsal rooms in the conservatory. And when I um, I just stumbled into the rehearsal and and I I saw the uh, musicians they uh, were dressed very shiny like a magician and uh, they 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 looked to me like magicians and you know for a young kid a magician is, is very appealing and uh, and in my ma- imagination they improvised I I I thought that. Just like a magician, they are um, flying notes or doves out of their sleeves, and, and and I was, I, I ran in, uh, to my teacher and I said, "I want to be a magician. I want to know how to, to do this magic." And he was uh, laughing. But yeah, I, I the first time I heard improvisation, I knew that this is what I want to to do. What what I want to learn to do.
0: So you've obviously taken off in in wonderful ways as a musician, and you've had the chance to play and learn from the likes of Herbie Hancock and Al Foster. And I'm sh- and I'm I'm curious what what did you learn from them that you in turn teach younger players that you get around?
1: Um, well, so so many uh, you know I, so much stuff. It's uh, I'm, I'm going to try to to think about uh, a couple. Uh, that are important to me or that I can at least think of right now and also it's, it's really interesting because you mentioned Herbie and Al but they both are so different in the way they uh, hear and, and talk about music and, and, and also teach it so for example with Al it was uh, I would say um, tough love know, he was very, very uh, uh, supporting. Uh, but at the same time, if something that I did musically, I'm talking about music, um, was not to his liking, he, he he would he would tell me about it. And, and sometimes it would have been very, very harsh, the way he, he uh, criticized my music. But even though it was very difficult at the time, um, not too long after I realized that I'm, I am becoming a better musician because of that. So the fact that he wasn't, uh, you know, accept accepting everything that I did and just telling me that I'm great all the time was good. It was it made me a better player because um, I wanted to grow and to become better for him. With Herbie, it was different. Herbie is very, very accepting. You know, it is, you know, I always felt like I could do anything and I can do and make as many mistakes as as I can make. And and trust me, I made a lot of mistakes and that he will be there to catch me. And this is another great lesson to learn because uh, I guess when I, uh, you know, today for the, uh, more than 20 years now that I've been leading bands, um, I feel that I have this combination in, in me when I come to to talk with my band and to you know, try to um, uh, advise them or to make the music or my music sound better in the best. So I guess I have these two ways of talking to them. One is, you know, making sure that they understand that um, I am there for them and, and anything that they're going to do, I'm going to be able to catch it. And and even if it's a mistake, so-called mistake, I will be there for them, uh, again, musically speaking, and, and make sure that uh, it will, whatever they do, it will sound good. I will try to, to make it sound good, even if it's not necessarily the prettiest thing they play, But at the same time, after the show, I would I w- will always make sure to tell them, even if it's sometimes a little rough, and uh, what I don't like and how they can make it better.
0: What do you like the best about being a professional musician? What do you look forward to every day being a creator of music?
1: You know... W- when you uh, when you were asking the question just now, it sounded very very serious, and I, and and it is serious. Music is, is extremely serious to me. But at the same time, you know, I, when you you think about the word, uh, uh, you know, player or play, it's something uh, you know like like it sounds very playful. And when I play, I just do something that is very. Infant, I, I would say, like very childish, and so in a way, and, and you can see it, you know, like uh, even Herbie and Al and, and Ron and all the great players that I've met in my life, they all have a very, very uh, childish or and, you know, young, youthful. Um, sight to them even though they are very serious musicians who practice a lot and uh, they've been doing great things they changed the history of music at the end of the day this is what i'm looking um you know looking for this is what i'm uh, looking forward to every day just to play <laughs> and uh, as uh, simple as it sounds just to you know, I, I wake up and I see the piano and it invites me to play on it and to play with it. And the same goes for the saxophone. And this is what I, I do. I just do it because it gives me a lot of joy to play. when I do it uh, sometimes and hopefully many times I, I can create beautiful melodies and great harmony and. You know and of course to sh- if I can to share it with people with audiences and, and even just with a friend who can play with me yeah.
0: beautiful well and speaking of playing when you do start playing more you know now that the world's kind of waking up and we're on the other end of COVID what do you hope we all realize about the power of live music not only the musician but the audience when we return and get back to it
1: oh man um, you know I i can answer that by uh, reminiscing more on when i came to new york i guess 96 the first place uh, i went to was uh, of course uh, smalls jazz club um, and i remember going you know i was young i was like 17 or 16 years old i came from israel which was a, a is small country, but even in the uh, aspect of jazz, you know, this, these days, we have so many jazz musicians from Israel, but back then it wasn't like that. It was, we were like five <laughs> jazz musicians uh, from here. And and uh, so I didn't have any experience of like real life jazz, you know, like listening to. So I came down to, to, to uh, the basement of, of Smalls and and the music just washed me, and it was more than washing. It was like a, like a heavy truck, you know, like riding into my face, almost like, uh, like I'm uh, um, running into me. And that was such an amazing experience that really changed my life. So it was nothing like what I heard in the recordings. From that moment on, you know. I, I realized that this effect, when I play, you know, when I play with a band, has so much on on the listener, and and I see it every time I play for uh, live in front of people. I see their faces are changing, their smiles, the, the the you know, you know, someone who has not experienced jazz live is just he can be really or she can be like so thrilled and shocked i just i i, I hope that the people will get to experience it again and uh, and i'm sure they will keep like always you know appreciating it and um you know we are talking uh, uh, right now through zoom but with all due respect i can't wait to you know be able to sit down with you for example talk face to face so and the same goes for music you know it's it's great to listen to it through computers and headphones or whatever but there's nothing like experiencing the energy that a musician a good musician can
0: give you when he plays in front of you live absolutely so my final question to you is this everyone has a perception or an idea of you, your family, your friends, your fans, your students, but ultimately you live your life. You have a perception of yourself. Who do you think you are?
1: Well, um, you're not talking about musically, just um, pers- like as a person?
0: Well, I think they probably are both interwoven, but yeah, just overall, your overall perception.
1: Um, wow, that's a great question, <laughs> but it's very hard um, to answer. I guess I'll just think of uh, associations that I have right now uh, stubborn would be once okay. um, um, romantic well at least at least during this time you know since my dad passed away which was six months ago I feel a little bit like I'm I'm uh, also... Said, So I guess uh, this this will do for now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Hey, thank you for opening up about the new album, about your life and music. Good luck with everything as we move forward with the album and the live music.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me and for taking the
0: time to talk to me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview. Where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Jerusalem, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe D'Amino in the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Hey.
1: Neon Jazz.